You are listening to the Grace Covenant Church Audio Podcast. Well, if you would grab your sermon notes this morning, your Bible, um, you're going to look at a lot of different scriptures today, so maybe you could, would like to follow along. Uh, but today we're continuing our conversation about who we are as a church family and, and what we believe. In case you were not here last Sunday, I know in the summer a lot of folks are traveling, vacation. Let me tell you what we talked about last week. Um, we began to talk about our church family and, and our affiliation as a church family. We, uh, Grace Covenant Church, are a part of a larger family called the International Church of the Four Square Gospel. Now, oftentimes when folks show up at Grace Covenant, they first think that we're like a, an independent or a non-denominational church, and we're not. We are, again, connected to, affiliated with uh, a larger church family. Now, when it comes to denominations, it's interesting People have a lot of different perspectives. Some think denominations are good, some think denominations are bad, and some really don't give a flip about denominations. And maybe that's you this morning. Um, so I'm not going to talk about this long, but um, I think denominations have certainly caused their issues through the years, divide, division and strife. Um, but, you know, I, as I think about denominations and as I think about church family, I don't see them as being unhealthy. I think what we have to remember is that we're all a part of the same family. We're redeemed by the same Savior, and we're serving the same God. If we can keep that as the focus, then even in the midst of our diversity, we can find unity among the denominations. Um, But we are a part of this church family living out our mission here in the Lake Norman community. Interesting, Pete Gilquist tells of, of an imagined conversation. So not a real story, but an imagined conversation between two men who would have lived in Jesus' day, who had experienced his healing power. Both men were, were healed of blindness. And in their conversation, they discovered that Jesus was the healer in both cases. They discussed the method and technique of Jesus' healing, and and to their dismay, they discovered that Jesus used like this instant-type procedure to heal one man's blindness, and then on the other man, he used like this totally different approach, this like mud-in-the-eyes approach. And so both men were frustrated, but positive one thing, Jesus could not have possibly uh, used the other method to heal. So that was their point of contention. In great disbelief, one man said to the other, hey, there's no way it could have happened like that. And there you have it, folks. The start of the first two denominations, we have the Muddites and the (laughs) anti-Muddites. As I was reading that humorous story, I thought, well, there is certainly some truth to that. Uh, Denominations are often started because of disagreement, and, and it's the disagreement then that leads to division. But again... Not everything about a denomination is bad. I know as a church family, for us as a church family, we have been tremendously blessed to be a part of a larger four-square family. Uh, It's really, I believe, helped us be more effective in the mission that God has given us here in the Lake Norman community. But today, as we we continue on in this series, we want to talk not only about denomination, we really want to spend time talking about what we believe as a church family. Now, if you were not here last week, I would encourage you to go online, gracecovenant.org, and check out the podcast to hear, uh, so you can discover what we talked about last week, because we're going to pick up kind of in the middle of the conversation this morning. But last week, we talked about a foundational verse. From the very outset of, our, uh, of the founding of our church family, we had this verse that has kind of been the anchor, if you will, of our church family. It's found in Hebrews chapters. 
chapter 13, verse 8. We looked at this last week, but let's look at it again this morning. Would you read this with me? Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Some of you got on like halfway through, so let's try it again. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. As I said last week, that verse simply means this, that what Jesus said is still true today. What Jesus did, he's still doing today. Who Jesus was, he still is. Listen, although the methods of ministry have changed down through the years. I mean, you study church history, you study any denomination, there's been an evolution of, of methods, the methodology of ministry in local churches. But this never changes. The message, the gospel, and the master being Jesus Christ. So methods may change. Even here at Grace Covenant, 21 years I've been here. Man, I've seen all kinds of methods come and go, and we've, we've kind of evolved and transformed. But this is what's not changed. The message being the good news of the gospel and the master being Jesus Christ. What Jesus never changed. He's, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So as a church family, we're built upon the person of Jesus Christ. We, we, are, a, we are a Christ-centric denomination it's built on four key points of doctrine two of them we talked about last week let me just quickly uh, summarize these two points we talked about last week first is this jesus christ savior humanity had a problem this was the problem it was sin we couldn't solve our problem so what did god do for god so loved the world god in his love sent his son to die that we might live listen that is the summation of the gospel Jesus Christ came to bring salvation. He is a Savior. As I said last week, listen, there's not many ways to be saved. There's one, and that one way is Jesus Christ. I mean, John 14, 6, so clear. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So, so Jesus Christ, Savior, not only is Jesus Christ the Savior, but he's also the baptizer, the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. Now, this is what Jesus knew. He knew the disciples were going to need some help. And to carry out the, the mission of the church, they couldn't do it on their own. So this is what he did. He, he sent what the Father promised, being the Holy Spirit. It happened, Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost. The disciples were overflowed with. They were immersed in the fullness of the Spirit. And then they went out like doing the very things Jesus did, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And what we believe today is that Jesus is still baptizing people in the Holy Spirit. We believe what happened in the book of Acts is still happening today. Matter of fact, we say it like this. We're living in the dispensation of Acts 29, the time of Acts 29. And if you know about the book of Acts, there's only 28 chapters in the book of Acts. So we're the ongoing living out of the church today and the dynamic of the Holy Spirit. So, so, so what is the role of the Holy Spirit? Dr. Hayford says it well. He says the Holy Spirit comes to indwell the believer, so the power of Jesus can be, so the person of Jesus can be seen in us, and He comes to overflow our lives, so the power of Jesus can happen through us. So the person of Jesus in us, and the power of Jesus through us. So Jesus Christ, Savior, Jesus Christ, baptizer in the Holy Spirit. And today we want to focus on these last two key beliefs in our church family, being this Jesus Christ, Savior. In Jesus Christ, soon coming King. So let's start with Jesus, our Savior. You know, 
If you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, throughout the Gospels, you'll find story after story after story after story where Jesus did supernatural, miraculous stuff, where he healed people who had sickness and infirmity. I mean, there's things like he opened blind eyes, he opened deaf ears, he healed the paralyzed. I mean, he even even raised the dead. I mean, it's throughout the Gospels. I mean, it's the, the, the truth recorded for us today in God's Word. And there's a, a verse in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, that I really believe summarizes kind of the, the ministry of Jesus. It's on the screen. L- listen as I read this. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and notice, and healing every disease and sickness. So Jesus went proclaiming the kingdom, telling people about God, the wonder of God's love, the wonder of his grace, the wonder of his mercy, the greatness of his plan. And, and, and he healed sick people, he healed people who had infirmities and diseases. It's interesting when John the Baptist was in prison that he was wondering, man, he's hearing kind of all of these things that Jesus is doing. And he's wondering, is he the Messiah or not? And so from his prison cell, he sends one of his disciples and he basically says, hey, go and ask Jesus if he's the one or if we should expect someone, if he's the Messiah or should we expect someone else? And so Jesus, giving proof of his Messiahship, said, hey, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go back and tell John, go back and give John this report. Listen to what Jesus said. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Jesus said, hey, that's the proof that I am the Son of God, that I am the promised Messiah. Miracles happening, supernatural healings happening. And what we believe as a church family is really simple. What Jesus did, he's still doing. Why? Because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's interesting, John 14, 12, Jesus made this bold declaration to the disciples. He says, you're going to be doing what I did and even greater things. You're going to be Doing what I did, and even greater. I'm going to the Father. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. Through the provision of the cross and the power of the Spirit, you're going to do what I've done and, and even greater things. So Jesus is our healer. As we look to Scripture, this is what we discover. First, we've got to begin here. It's the nature of God to heal, for He's Jehovah Rapha. It's not just healing that we discover in the New Testament. If you go back into the Old Testament, you'll find story after story, miracle after miracle. Listen, it's the very nature of our God to heal. It's the very nature of our God to bring His power, His provision, His goodness in our lives on time at the point of need. It's the nature of God. Interesting, in the Old Testament, with the children of Israel, as God continued to reveal Himself, one of the ways He did that is through His names. He would, he would make a promise and he would connect it to, and oh, by the way, this is who I am. In other words, this is, this is a part of who I am. This is flowing out of my, out of my nature. Exodus 15, 26. God said this as Moses recorded it as a promise to the children of Israel. Listen to this. God said, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God, and if you do what's right in His eyes, if you pay attention to His commands and keep all His decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. That last phrase, I am the Lord who heals you, basically God's saying there, I am Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. So it's in the very nature of God 
to heal. It's the way he's revealed himself as a God of healing. Rapha means healing. Jehovah is Lord. Rapha is healing. He is the Lord of, of healing. So we have to start there. It's in the very nature of God to manifest his provision to bring healing. And then as we look to the Gospels, throughout the Gospels, we discover that Jesus came to reveal God, our Father, as he healed the sick. So why did Jesus come? He came to reveal the Father. Would you agree with that? He came to reveal the love of the Father, the grace of the Father, the plan of the Father. He came to reveal that of the very nature of the Father to heal the sick. In Matthew's Gospel, we have this statement of Jesus' ministry as he began his his three years of public ministry. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23 and 24. Uh, listen to what Matthew recorded. He says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in all their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them all. But Jesus went proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, telling people about the Father. Again, the love of the Father, His grace, His mercy. And what? He, he healed the sick. See, as a result of the healing ministry of Jesus, there were always, always crowds. How many of you know when the supernatural starts happening, you want to see it, right? I mean, if miracles are happening, you want to see it. Like, you want to have a front row seat on the deal, Right? And if you're at a point of need, then like you're there standing in line because you want the supernatural to happen in your life. It was the same thing in Jesus' day. So wherever Jesus went, because miracles were happening, there was a crowd. And as the crowd would gather, and the scripture says that Jesus would proclaim the good news of the kingdom. He would proclaim that uh, of the heart of the Father. So Jesus came to reveal God our Father as, as he healed the sick. And as we look on in the truth of God's word, the revelation of God's word, we find that Jesus has provided means of healing for us today through the cross. So not only is Jesus the healer, but he's provided the means of healing through the cross. Through so Jesus' death and resurrection, not only was there provision for our salvation, but there's also provision for our healing. Listen, as a result of the cross, there's two things that you and I receive Two R words, pretty important words, redemption and restoration. Through the cross today, what do we have? Redemption, restoration, forgiven, and the provision of healing. Matter of fact, Peter, in Peter's writings, he captured it like this. First Peter chapter 2. Notice what, what Peter wrote. Verses on the screen. It says, he himself being Jesus. Peter writing of Jesus says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. So again, Jesus came to bring salvation. We're, we're saved through the provision of the cross. But Peter also says, hey, there's healing provision through the cross. Now it's interesting, this word salvation, the Greek word for salvation is sozo, S-O-Z-O, sozo, and it literally means wholeness. What did Jesus Christ come to do? He came to bring wholeness, that we might be spiritually whole and that we might be physically whole. So through the provision of the cross, today, we have that of Christ healing power available to us and for us. Amen. Now Jesus has commissioned us. His church to be his healing agents. 
continuing his work in our world. Now, let me clarify this. Listen, you, you can't heal anyone. I can't heal anyone. Matter of fact, turn to your neighbor and say, hey, I can't heal you. Just in case they were wondering. But you're not the healer. I'm not the healer. But listen, we know the one who is. And he's the one who's commissioned us to be his agents continuing his work. We're his representatives. Paul says it like this in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, we are his ambassadors. We're here doing Christ's work as if Christ were here himself. Again, going back to John 14, 12. Jesus said, you're going to do what I've been doing and even greater things because I'm, I'm going to the Father. So we're his agents carrying out Christ's work. Again, I can't heal anyone. But what I can do is I can take the truth of God's word and I can speak God's word in their life and over their life. In other words, I can stand in agreement with them for what Christ has provided for them. What, because I'm Christ's agent. I'm his ambassador. I'm his representative. And listen, you are too. If you're a follower of Christ, the same would be true of you. Now, interesting, Mark chapter 16, before Jesus was resurrected, he gave a commissioning statement. Mark chapter 16, beginning in verse 15, Jesus said these words, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel. Preach the gospel. Preach the gospel. So wherever we go, he said, go preach, go go tell the good news. Now notice on in verse 17, notice what Jesus said. He says, when you go preaching the word, he says, there's going to be some signs that follow. In other words, you should expect these things. Notice, um, we don't have verse 7, is that... And these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They'll drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. The scripture goes on to say they will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. Now, don't get hung up on the handling snakes drinking poison. Listen, <laughs> there have been a lot of folks who've taken this verse out of context and they've They've tried to make like handling snakes some level of spirituality in their lives. And I don't think handling snakes makes you more spiritual. I'm just like, why would you want to do that? <laughs> so this is like not Jesus giving us a right to create some fanatical movement. We're all going to start handling snakes. Listen, I hate snakes. <laughs> We're not going to do that. But what Jesus was saying here, listen, as you're about my work, you can expect my provision. I mean, read Acts 28. Acts 28, Peter's been shipwrecked. Um, excuse me, Paul's been shipwrecked. He survives the shipwreck. He's on the island of Malta. The scripture says he's got a bundle of wood. He's putting the wood on the fire. There's this adder, poisonous snake, bites him on the arm. He just kind of shakes it off in the fire. And everyone's waiting for him to die because you get bit by one of those snakes, you're dead. But nothing happened to Paul. And then they were amazed. They thought, well, he, there's a God among us. Yet out of that, the Apostle Paul took that miracle and he began to um, proclaim the good news of the gospel. That's what the scripture is talking about. So don't get, don't get all lost in snake handling, drinking poison. We're going to start doing that. It's a ritual here on Sunday morning. Because we're not. That's not what the scripture is focused on. The focus is on Jesus said this. Go and proclaim the good news. And when you do, or as you go, you should expect these signs. Why? Because we're going in Christ's name, doing Christ's work, empowered by that of the Holy Spirit. We should expect that of Christ's work through our lives. Again, not that I'm a healer, not that you're the healer, but we know the one who is. So what we, what we clearly define, what we 
find clearly revealed in God's word is that Jesus Christ healed people. And because because he healed people, we believe today that that he's called us to do the same in his name. We pray bold prayers and we believe for the miraculous. Why? Because the scripture directs us to our, our mission team. In Nicaragua, that we sent to Nicaragua a couple of weeks ago, actually had a pretty phenomenal, a lot of great stories that came out of that. But I, I want to focus in on one story because it connects to what we're talking about today. As our team was there, they, they facilitated a medical clinic. So we had physicians and nurses and, and people were, were being seen for whatever need they might have. Uh, and that was a part of us trying to launch a church or starting a church, which we did. But one day, um, there was a gentleman by the name of Damar who came to the medical clinic. Now, when individuals come to the medical clinic, uh, everyone gets to see the doctors, the nurses. Uh, but before they get there, we lay hands on them and pray for them because we believe Jesus heals. Really simple. And so on this day, Damar comes, and this was the challenge that Damar had a day prior he had been vaccinating pigs. Now, because I grew up on a farm, I understand this whole vaccinating pigs thing. If you ever tried to vaccinate a pig, I mean, like, it's like almost impossible. They're squealing and shaking. And well, in the midst of this, Damar, vaccinating pigs, misses the pig and actually vaccinates himself. So he puts this medicine in his hand that should have went in the pig. And so he shows up at the medical clinic and the medical clinic really couldn't do anything for him. I mean, you know, it's not like we knew there were going to be folks showing up who had pig vaccination in them that we would be dealing with. So it's like we were not prepared for that. However, we were prepared and that the team prayed for DeMar. So we have a picture here. This is the day that DeMar came to the medical clinic. This is his hand. See his hand all swelling, excruciating pain. He couldn't bend his fingers. This was the day that the team prayed for him. Then he came back on the second day. We have a, a picture here on the second day. You see the swelling is uh, really diminished. He, he could move his hand. Then the third day when DeMar came back, his hand was totally, completely normal. No swelling, no pain, nothing, nothing that would identify there was a problem. But here's the great news of the story. On the third day, DeMar and his whole family gave their lives to Jesus Christ. Experienced the provision of Jesus Christ. They couldn't deny it. They couldn't deny the reality of Christ because of the experience in their lives. This is what I know today, folks. Jesus is he's still in the healing business. So, so how do we receive Jesus' healing provision? I'm not going to give you a formula because I don't believe in formulas. However, from a story, let me just quickly um, give you some thoughts as to how we can position ourselves to receive healing provision from Jesus Christ. The story comes from Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, we have a woman who's been sick for 12 years. 12 years. And the scripture says that she had an, an issue of, of blood. Um, the problem was, for 12 years, she had had uterine bleeding. And as a result of the uterine bleeding for 12 years, not only was she in a weakened state, but she was unclean. If you had an issue of blood and this time in this culture, you were unclean, you were separated from, you were isolated from. So here's a woman, the scripture says, she's been to all the doctors, she's spent all of her money, she's broke, she's sick, and she's socially unacceptable. And she hears that Jesus is coming to her town. Now again, wherever Jesus was at, there was a large, large crowd because everybody wanted to get to Jesus, right? And so Jesus is coming to the town and the woman thinks, if I can just 
If I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made whole. So here's this woman fighting through the crowd in her weakened state, in a crowd that she should have never been in. She touches the hem of Jesus' garment, and the scripture says instantly she's healed. Instantly. And then Jesus stopped, and he turned, and he says, who touched me? And the disciples are like, really, Jesus? I mean, look at all these, really? Like, look at all these people. A lot of people are touching you. And Jesus uh, persisted. And the woman steps up. And she owns responsibility. She knew that change had happened in her body. And this is what Jesus said to the woman. Daughter, your faith has made you whole. Your faith. Your belief. So, so, so what can we learn from this story, Mark chapter 5, about how do, how do we receive Jesus' healing provision? I really think it's three things. First, we need to diligently pursue Jesus. I mean, this woman was in passionate pursuit. Why? She knew that Jesus was the solution. I, I think, secondly, we need to confidently, confidently engage Jesus in the need. In other words, we need to be fully persuaded. Again, Jesus identified the woman's faith. Not the touch, not even the reality that he was the son of God. But her faith, it was her her confidence, her being fully persuaded. So we need to confidently engage Jesus in the need, diligently pursue Jesus, confidently engage Jesus in the need, and then we need to humbly receive Jesus' ability. Folks, what's what's revealed in, in God's word is that Jesus is the healer. So certainly he healed people as he walked on the earth. And, and what we believe is that he's still healing today. Therefore, we boldly ask. Therefore, we contend. We contend for Jesus' provision. Why? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. What he did, he's still doing. It just happens to us, his representatives. Who Jesus Christ, healer. Not only is he the healer, but this brings us to... The, the last key belief that we hold as a church family, and it's this. Jesus Christ is the soon-coming king. The soon-coming king. You know, in Jesus' first advent, as he was born of the Virgin Mary there in Bethlehem, he came as a sacrificial savior. But when he returns for his church, he's going to come as the reigning king. Because scripture makes that very clear. Now, now there's many different theological views as to the when of Jesus' return, the process of Jesus' return. I mean, there's a lot of books have been written about this. Really brilliant men and women. I mean, folks who have a lot of initials after their name. Not like me, but folks who, I mean, they've studied and they're, they're really smart. And again, I have great respect for them. But one of the things that's so amazing to me is how many different theological views there are in relation to this issue. I mean, there's a lot of folks who would say, you know, Jesus is coming back before the tribulation. They've written books about it and articles about it. And because they say he's coming before the seven years of tribulation, they're called pre-tribbers because it's pre-tribulation. Then there's those who would say, no, 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 because this is what God's word says. And they have great biblical proof. He's going to come in the middle of the tribulation, like three and a half years. And then there's going to be like Jesus is going to come. Trumpet's going to sound. And then we have the, the last three and a half years. We call them mid-tribbers because they're like in the midpoint. 
And then there's those who really like agony and pain. They believe that Jesus is not coming back until after the tribulation. Like we're going to endure all of it. Um, and so they're called like post-trib. So again, these are brilliant scholars. These are great theologians who can't even agree as to Christ's return. Is it, is it pre? Is it mid? Is it, is it post? Now, obviously, I don't have initials after my name. I'm just Pastor Farrell. So I don't have all of the theology in the study, but I, I have come to my own theological position as to the return of Christ. I call it the pan-trib view, and that Jesus is going to come back. It's all going to pan out in the end. All we need to do is just like keep seeking Jesus, right? I don't know. I mean, if all these smart folks can't figure it out, then who am I? I just think, man, keep your focus on Jesus, and he's coming back. That's what I know. I don't know when, but he's coming back. They're all going to pan out in the end, so let's just keep our focus. Let's keep our focus on Jesus Christ. But what we do know, again, it's so clearly defined in God's Word, that of, of Christ's return. Matter of fact, there's over 300 verses in the New Testament alone. Get that. The, catch the way that over 300 verses speaking of Christ's return in the New Testament alone. It was staggering. It's like God didn't want us to miss this. One of my favorite references to the return of Christ is found in, in John 14. And this is the passage where Jesus is leaving and he's told the disciples he's leaving and they're wrecked. They're troubled. They're, they don't understand. Why would you leave? I mean, like, we're going to overthrow the Roman rule. Why would you leave? And, and so in the midst of their grief, in the midst of their, their heartache, in the, in the midst of them trying to get, a, get their kind of minds around why Jesus would leave, Jesus spoke these words of comfort in John chapter 14, beginning with verse 1. He says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that, if that were not so, I, I would have told you, I'm, would I have told you that, that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? Notice this next line. And if, you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back. Did you catch those four words? Jesus said, I, how many know Jesus doesn't lie? Are you with me this morning? Listen, you might lie, I might lie, but Jesus doesn't lie. What did he tell his disciples? He says, hey guys, I'm coming back. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I'm coming back that you might be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Listen, Jesus left this earth the first time for a purpose. What was the purpose? It was to prepare the way of salvation. He's coming back a second time for a purpose. What? It's, it's to rapture his church and to establish his kingdom. So again, it's clearly established in God's word that of Christ's second coming. However, there's a problem. And here's the problem. Nobody knows when but God. No one knows the time or the day. Now, again, this is one of those interesting things. Down through the years, a lot of people have tried to target the date. You might remember this name, Edgar Wisnett. 1988, he released a book, actually 87 into 88, and this was the title of his book, 88 Reasons That Jesus Is Going to Come in 1988. Guess what? He was wrong, right? (laughs) And then uh, more recently, I mean, a lot of folks have done this down through the years, but more recently there was a gentleman by the name of Harold Camping, maybe you're familiar with his name and stories, 
kind of stirred up a lot of ruckus because he was just certain that Jesus was going to return on May the 21st of 2011. And again, guess what? He was wrong, right? Because we're, we're all still here. The, the point being that nobody knows when Christ is going to return. But the Father, listen to what Jesus said, Matthew 24, 36. Jesus, speaking of his return, said these words, No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. And then he goes on, verse, goes on in verse 42 to say, Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will return. So what we can be confident of is, is that Jesus is coming back because he, he said he would. But what we don't know is when. Therefore, therefore, we should live with expectancy. I mean, Jesus said, don't, don't be caught sleeping. Live with expectancy. And we don't know if it's going to be today or tomorrow or next week or next year or ten years from now. But this is what we know. Jesus is coming back. So we should live every day in expectancy. I say it like this. I live with my rapture shoes on. If it's the day, listen, I'm ready. I I don't have to get ready. I am ready. But I'm I'm living, I'm living in expectation. So, So we want to live with expectancy, but we also need to aggressively share the gospel. This is a, this is a day of opportunity. But hear me, friends. There's coming a day where there will not be opportunity. When Christ comes. So we should be we should be actively sharing the gospel message. When I was a kid growing up, one of my favorite preachers was a man by the name of Happy Caldwell. I don't know if you've ever heard of Happy Caldwell. But as a kid, I remember this sermon. Uh, he said, you know, when the, when the trumpet sounds and Christ returns and we're being raptured, he says, I'm going to grab an unbeliever in my left hand and I'm going to grab an unbeliever in my right hand. And as I'm going up through the air, I'm going to ask them the question, do you want to believe in Jesus Christ or do you want me to let go? <laughs> Well, that's probably not a really great means of evangelism. <laughs> but the point of urgency is you have family members and friends and people you work with, as, as I do, who, who are, today are far from God. And today is a day of opportunity. But there will come a day when Christ returns that there will not be opportunity. Therefore, we need to seize the moment. Because Christ is returning. We just don't know when. See, what we know is revealed in Scripture is that Jesus' return will be joy for those who've chosen to follow Him, but pain and heartache for those who've rejected Him. And there's joy and celebration. There's pain and, and grief and sorrow. The difference is, what do we do with Jesus Christ? So in light of the promise of Jesus' return, we want to live with great expectancy while we're sharing the hope of the gospel with those who don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. What's clearly revealed in the Bible, again, is this. Christ is returning for His church. But, But until He comes, we're to be His representatives, living in His grace, operating in His power, and enjoying His provision. I think that must be our position. Again, what are we doing? We're living in His grace, operating in His power, enjoying His provision. And see, what we believe as a church family is really simple. 
what Jesus did, he's still doing. I can't say it any simpler than that. When you read in the Gospels, we believe Jesus is still doing today. Why? Because he hadn't changed. We're his agents carrying out his work in the world today. One last story, Luke chapter 5. There's a gentleman who comes to Jesus and he has leprosy. Luke 5, 1 and 2. Now, leprosy in Jesus' day was a, was a horrible disease that basically meant this, a slow death. A slow, painful death. And so here's this leper, Luke 5. The scripture says he comes and he, and he literally prostrates himself. He falls flat on his face before Jesus. And this is what he says. He says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. If you're willing. And I love what the scripture says in verse 2. Scripture says that Jesus reached out his hand and touched the untouchable, the leper. And this is what he said. I am willing. So this is what I know today. Not only is Jesus able, but Jesus is willing. And you say, maybe you're thinking this moment, but Pharaoh, I've prayed for people before and they didn't get healed. Listen, I have too. I prayed for people to be healed and done their funeral three days later. I'm not the healer. You're not the healer. This is what I know today. God's sovereign. I know he's able. I know he's willing. And I also know this. 100% of the prayers that you don't pray won't get answered. 100%. What's your job? What's my job? It's to confidently pray. It's to, it's to come fully persuaded. The scripture says that you, you have not because you ask not. What's our job? Our job is to ask. To ask a God who is willing and able. And that's what we want to do this morning. I'm going to ask if you would stand with me. Yeah, it's, we would never embarrass anyone not going to do that this morning. But in alignment with what we've been talking about today, If you have a point of physical need, an infirmity, a sickness, we want to just do what we talked about this when we want to pray. Yeah, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 says this, Come boldly to His throne of grace, that you might find help in your time of need, that you might find help in your time of sickness. We could say it like that. Come boldly. Ask. So this morning, we want, to, we want to do just that. I, I, I want the people around you to have an opportunity to pray for you. Why? Because we're Christ's ambassadors doing His work. All of us. So if you're here today and you would just say, Hey, I've got a, I've got a physical need in my body. And I just want to, I want to ask today. I want to believe today for Christ's healing provision. If that's you, I'm going to ask if you would just raise your hand and, and keep it up just for a minute because I'm going to ask the people around you just to kind of move towards you, maybe take you by the hand or put your their hand gently on your shoulder. So if you if you see someone around you who has their hand lifted, would you just, let's kind of circle around those folks. And I just want to lead us in a prayer this morning. 
Listen, today we're simply going to agree for what Jesus has already said is ours. We're going to agree for that of Christ's provision for our friends, family members who are around us right now. Because the scripture says if we have faith, the grain of a mustard seed. We can say to this mountain, be moved. But listen, today we want to exercise faith. And we simply want to take God at His word. So would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you this morning for the provision of the cross to bring salvation for our souls and restoration for our bodies. Lord, your word says by your stripes we have been healed. Lord, your word says to come boldly, to come confidently, that we could find help. Lord, your word says that you're a rock and a refuge, an ever-present help in time of trouble. Your word says, God, that that we are blessed, and Lord, that you forgive our sins and, and you heal our body. So, Lord, according to the promise of your word and the provision of the cross, Lord, today we simply agree. Lord, we come alongside friends, family members, and Lord, we ask that your healing provision would be manifested in their life and in their situation. Lord, I pray this morning that you would heal high blood pressure. I pray today, God, that you would heal arthritis. Lord, I pray today that you would heal, Lord, individuals, Lord, who are struggling with cancer. God, this is what I know. The cross at Calvary is greater than the disease of cancer. Lord, so according to your provision, Lord, we agree today. Lord, we agree for heart hearts to be made whole. God, we agree, Lord, for, again, joints to function. Lord, we we pray, God, that you would heal backs. And God, just restore. Lord, again, we're simply taking your word and saying, do it here in this place today. Because Jesus, we're, we're, we're fully persuaded. We're convinced that not only are you willing, but you're able. So, Lord, with that, we believe today, Jesus, manifest your healing provision. And, Lord, this multitude of situations here today where we agree for these things in the mighty name of Jesus. And the church says, Amen. Amen. Praise God. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.